Let's get into the message this morning. Uh, So welcome to the second part of the Holy Spirit, the game changer. Last week we talked about who is he. This week we're going to talk about where is he. So welcome to those of you too that are also listening to our podcast, whether you're driving or you're sitting at your your workstation. We have somebody here that has sat at his workstation and listened to us for a year, but his work schedule changed officially. He's here this morning. Where is Todd? Todd, right here front row. Todd Malloy, welcome back to Echo. We told your story last week, buddy, and so just every now and again when the pastor tells a story, it's nice to have extra proof that it really is accurate. So he's here this morning. We told the story last week about how um, a year ago God had provided a, a job for Todd that we had been praying for, but the catch was he had to work on Sundays. And so we met together just a couple weeks ago, ago at Red Robin and prayed at the, at the lunch table that God would resolve this somehow, that he could keep his job but be here at church on Sundays. And less than 10 days later, he, he let us know, look, I was just talking to another coworker. The coworker heard about my desire to be in church on Sunday and said, hey, we have the same job. Why don't we just switch schedules? You can take my Monday through Friday and I'll work your Sunday. They went to the supervisor. Supervisor said, okay. And now Todd can be here with his family, with his wife, Kara, and his two beautiful daughters every single Sunday morning. So we are happy for Todd to be here. Todd also is great with sound and media. So no pressure, Todd. But now that you're available on Sundays, <laughs> Julie's great at training people's stuff. We'll get, we'll get, you, on, we'll get you on that schedule. But... Um, So welcome to all of you, whether you're here this morning, whether you're listening uh, to our podcast later on, uh, we're going to bring you into the series just to kind of give you a real quick one paragraph refresher on what we talked about last week. We talked about who the Holy Spirit actually is. I had a really interesting conversation last night uh, that lasted right up until about nine o'clock. The last uh, family that I talked to, the gentleman um, who spoke to me, who I'm hoping is coming here to church next Sunday, he said he couldn't this Sunday, but he and his children coming next Sunday. He said, you know, I've got a question. He said, I grew up Catholic. And he said, and I said, well, you would be probably in the majority of people that come to my church. A lot of us have Catholic roots here. And he said, I just have a question. He said, when I grew up, 99% of what I heard about in church was the Mother Mary and this saint and that saint. He's like, and I've tried a few of you Protestant churches out, and you only talk about, it's 99% Jesus. I never hear about God the Father. I never hear about God the Holy Spirit. That's all you talk about is Jesus. And I said, well, interestingly enough, we're taking a whole month right now and talking about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to talk about Jesus too. Um, but uh, I, I, I said, you know, they're all important. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not like we prefer one over the other. I said, but the Holy Spirit's a little bit tricky sometimes for us to understand because he seems to be the most mysterious of the three. He's the one that, you know, he, he's not made up of matter. You know, he doesn't have a body that, we, you know, that you can see. He's not like this podium that, has, that, has, that you can weigh and measure. Um, but we talked a little bit about last week who he is. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He knows everything. He is all-powerful. He is present everywhere. But the specific thing we brought out last week was something that Jesus the Son told his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. He makes this quick analogy, and then we'll move on from it. He says, everything that I, Jesus Christ, am to you, my 12 disciples, so will the Holy Spirit be to every single man, woman, boy, or girl for the rest of eternity that chooses to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Everything Jesus was to the 12, the Holy Spirit is to you and to me. He's our encourager, he's our comforter, he's our guide, he's our advocate, he's our helper, he's our teacher. So don't feel like you were done this great disservice because you weren't picked as one of the 12 and got to intern with Jesus for three years and hang on his every word. You still do through the spirit of Jesus who lives in you if you choose to follow him. So that's what we talked about last week. That's who he is. This week, let's talk about where he is. Where is the Holy Spirit? I think for a lot of us, we believe that he exists 
but because he's kind of invisible to us, maybe we don't really think he's as real as he actually is. Jesus gives us a clue as to where to look for him, and he told his disciples before it actually happened. So I want to read to you this morning the same passage that we studied last week from the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament, fourth Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. And I just want to take a moment and just encourage those of you that aren't listening on podcasts, but those of you that are here, it's important for us to have a Bible and to use it and to bring it with us, whether you have it in a digital copy or in a paperback book. That book changes lives. That book is living and it is active. Every word, every sentence matters. And I want you to, I want to encourage you, if you're not currently in the routine of doing so, to build the habit of bringing a copy of the Bible to church with you. If you do not have one, stop at Guest Central, we will give you one. We want you to have the Bible. It changes your life. It's extremely important. Not only that, because how can you trust if what I'm saying is true if you're not looking at it for yourself? I want to help you get better at reading and knowing and understanding the Bible, but it's important for us to have that. It's, it's what we base everything here on. Amen? Okay. Amen? Whew, I get nervous sometimes. man. I don't call for an amen all that often. It makes people nervous, right? But man, when we're talking about foundational stuff, those of you that believe this, that's where I need you to chime in because the skeptic sitting in their seat needs to know the more than just the pastor believes in that, right? Okay, thank you, Bonnie. You're awesome, I appreciate you. So let's dive in together this morning. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Put your seatbelts on this morning. Some of you who know me well know I already speak fast. I speak about 120 words a minute with gusts of up to 300, so you just gotta kinda kinda hang on here this morning. Um, Because we've got some ground to cover today. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Now, here's the part we're going to focus on today. But you know him because he lives, this is important, he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, put yourself in the position of the disciples for a second. That sounds kind of creepy. The Holy Spirit's with you now, but later he's going to be inside of you. That's troubling language for them. They didn't understand anything about God being in us up to this point, because God couldn't be. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Jesus hadn't defeated death yet. Jesus hadn't paid the ultimate price yet. And so man's relationship with God up to this point in history was knowing God upon them, Going, knowing God around them, being able to see the evidence of God, but they didn't know what it was like yet to have God himself, the presence of God, his spirit living in, inside of them. So Jesus says, right now, he's with you, but later on, he will be able to be in you. What does that mean to you and me this morning? Here's what it means. The big idea is simply this. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not just out there somewhere. Quite the contrary. He makes his home in every man, every woman, and every child the moment they choose to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, some of you are just like, Pastor, this is just almost insultingly simple. It should be. (laughs) But if you can grab onto this, I will tell you the single greatest light bulb experience I've had in my entire life and my journey with Christianity comes back to what I'm going to teach you this morning. This is not the first time in my life that I've taught something on the topic of where the Holy Spirit is. But I will tell you, this is the single 
for me personally, it's been the single greatest understanding that I've had about who I am and where the Holy Spirit is and what that means practically for the way that I live my life or anything else. So it might be once a year that you hear me talk about this or more frequently, but if there's anything I can help you understand for you in your spiritual journey, this is one of those basic 101 type principles. The Holy Spirit's not just out there somewhere. We're not looking up in the sky begging him to come to find us. He li- if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, the Bible tells us the Spirit of God fused itself together with your spirit. And he's not out there now. He lives in you. Well, I don't hear him. I don't feel him. I don't see him. Maybe you don't know how to tune in. And I want to help you be able to do that the best that I can through this series. So I brought with me this morning something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is my handy-dandy flip chart. Those of you that are new to Echo, you will see this regularly. Um, I like to doodle and I like to draw. So this morning, I have, um, so that you can see it better, I actually had craft time this week at the office, and I went and I got poster board and I cut circles out and everything else because I realized that sometimes the farther away that you sit, you might not be able to see this as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about who we really are. Now, here's the thing about God. God is three in one. Help me with this. God the Father, God the, God the Holy Spirit. In some ways, this is very much a mystery. I would like to say that, man, I've just got the whole Trinity figured out. It's actually Trinity Life is the name of our, of our church. And so, you know, I should probably be an expert on things Trinity. I'm just starting to scratch the surface of, of some of this. I don't, I don't, the more that I study it, the less I'm like, wow, this is just much bigger than me. And that's the way that it is. I want to serve a God that's bigger than me. If I can understand everything about him, he's no better than another human being. I need a God that is just big, bigger than my brain can fit inside of it. So you've got God who is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But because I am made in the likeness and the image of God, the Bible also teaches that I'm three in one, which is crazy. I have a body, I have a soul, and I have a spirit. Let me prove this to you biblically so you don't think I'm just making this up. Let's go the whole way back to Genesis chapter one. You have this pretty cool verse where we get the blueprint for how God decided to make you and me. We have this one little clue, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Let me read it to you. It says this. Then God said, these words are important, let us make human beings and our image to be like us. Here's what he didn't say. Let me make human beings in my image to be like me. The language is important. He said, let us. So who was he talking to? Who are the other people involved in creating things? Well, we know two different people were people. Two different entities were involved in this process. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. So we've got God the Father there. Later on, a couple sentences later, says, and the Spirit of God was also there hovering over the waters. And in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us later on. So we know Jesus Christ was there. So who he's talking to? It's like God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are having, there's no way to just, I'm just going to have to dumb it down into our language as best I can. They're having some type of a conversation with him. God says, let us, the three of us, let's make man in our image to be like us. As we're three in one, let's make man three in one to be in our image like us. Fortunately, Paul validates this for us later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It's one of those letters at the end of one of Paul's letters that we might skip past because we don't think it's important. He says something really important for us. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, here's what it says. Now, may the God of peace make you holy. We just sang about it. Who's, may the God of peace make you holy. In other words, I'm not naturally holy. I can't make myself holy. He says, if we're going to be holy, God has to make us that way. And may your whole spirit, soul, 
and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I could talk all morning just on that verse. I won't. But I want you to understand, the Bible teaches you and I that we aren't just what you see. That we are really three in one. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't. Whether you grew up in this country or you grew up in another country. Man or woman, boy or girl. We all are body, soul, and spirit. We have a body. We have a soul. We have a spirit. And understanding that we are this way and understanding what that means for us is extremely important for our spiritual growth and development. So let me go through these very, very, very quickly. Um, you have a body, and I have a body. It's the part of us that, that, that we see. I have a body. The, the word in the Bible is soma. My body consists of my talents, the five senses, sight, smell, hearing, taste, speech, and touch, my physical attributes, and my behavior. I have a body. And if you're listening to this uh, you know, on podcast, if you think about one of the most delightful candies in the world, the everlasting gobstopper, and you put that thing through a bandsaw and you cut it in half and you looked at the inside of it, you'd see these concentric circles of different colors. So when you're thinking about this, I, I guess the best picture that I've come up with yet is think of three concentric circles, a circle inside of a circle inside of a circle, that outer orbit, the outer layer, the thing that you'd see first is our body. It's our talents, it's our senses, it's our attributes, it's our behavior. Your body does not have a brain it just is. However, you also have another layer dictating to the body what to do and what to do with the information that feeds it. And that's called, the Bible calls it our soul, which actually the Greek word is psyche. Bible uses the word heart interchangeably with soul. So when you read in the Bible, as it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is he, it's really talking about this part. This is the part of me that is very real, but doesn't necessarily have matter attached to it. Now, it matters, but there's a part of you that you can't put in a bucket and weigh. That's how you think. That's what you imagine. That's your emotions. That's your will. And if you can accept the fact that there's part of you that's very real that is yet invisible, why is it so hard to accept that there is a God that is very real that is yet invisible just because you can't see him with matter? You have a soul. That's where your brain is. And this is the part of me that is usually in charge. My foot doesn't go where it wants to go. My brain tells it where to go. You would be in a disaster if your foot had a brain of its own. The reason we do the things that we do, the reason we say the things that we say, is because our soul, our thoughts, our will, our imagination, tells our body what to do. You also have a spirit way deep down inside of you. It's what makes you and I different from a monkey. That's why I don't think I evolved from a monkey. A monkey doesn't have a spirit. The Bible says God breathed the ruach, the pneuma, his very breath into human beings. And it's his breath inside of us that distinguishes me from all their created things. It's the very breath of God. It's a part of me that will continue on eternally, even after my current body and soul are dead. If you read through the whole Bible, it says when we get to heaven... Those of us who know Jesus, we will get what? We'll get a new body. It won't decay. If you really read deeply into the Bible, there's all these theories about what our new body can do. If it's anything like Jesus' resurrected body, it doesn't follow the normal laws of physics like we know them. It can pass through walls. It can do all kinds of crazy things. Full head of hair, all this great stuff. But you have a body. 
you have a soul, you have a spirit. I don't think I've blown anybody's mind yet. This is just what the Bible teaches that we accept as true. Whether you're man, woman, boy, or girl, whether you know Jesus or you don't, this is who you really are, your body, soul, and spirit. We can't just separate these things out, can we? We can't just take our soul and treat it one way, our spirit treat another, and our body another. They relate to one another. We are interrelated beings. When you experience hurt and pain here, a lot of times it affects what goes on out here, doesn't it? Jesus gives us all kinds of illustrations about how these things relate. Let's, how, how, do, how do our, let's just look at the, the outer two. Let's look at our body and our soul. How does our body and our soul relate to one another? The Bible sometimes groups body and soul together and refers to it collectively as our sinful nature. And when you read, especially through the book of Romans, when it's talking about sinful nature, what does that mean? It just means that when I came out of the womb, the most natural thing for me to do was whatever I wanted. Sin. You did not have, I have a two-year-old. No one sat him down at one week old and taught him that all of life needs to revolve around you, and when you're not getting what you want, just scream and make everybody else miserable until we figure out what you need. He came into the world almost naturally wired to make everything revolve around him and to be completely miserable and to do whatever he needed to do until he got what he wanted. Sin is simply, it's disobeying God, But it's also living through life like I am my own king, I am my own Lord, and what I say and what I want matters most. It's not like you have to try to do this. This will happen very naturally. The most natural thing most of us can do is disobey God and live life our own way. No one has to teach us to do that. It's our sinful nature. That's what the Bible says. This part of us is naturally sinful. But then there's this interesting verse that says, when Paul says, so he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Your sinful nature naturally wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own intentions. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. He says, even after you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you'll find that there is still a war that goes on inside of you between the sinful nature and your spirit. Your spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you after you follow Jesus, is always going to be tugging you and guiding you in the direction of holiness, doing what God wants. But you also find that even after you've accepted Christ into your spirit, that these areas are still very much capable and naturally producing something completely the opposite. A lot of people, after they accept Jesus in their life, wonder, how is it possible for me to be saved and still be struggling with sin? If you understand the relationship between your body, your soul, and your spirit, this will make more sense. Because at salvation, the spirit of Christ came here. And the rest of my spiritual maturity is about surrendering this and this to this. These two things can act independently of your spirit. Your body and your soul, if you haven't figured this out already, can do whatever they want and totally ignore God altogether if they want to. It's not like God forces you to think his thoughts. It's not like he possesses you and brainwashes you. You can be following Jesus and made a decision to follow him and still cuss your boss out at work. You can still get revenge for someone who sends you a bad email. You can still struggle with lust or pornography. You can still have desires for people who you are not married to even after you follow Jesus, because this part of us is the sinful nature. (laughs) Was there any hope for me? Oh, there's hope for all of us through Christ, through the transforming 
of our mind so that we think the thoughts of the Spirit, we feel the feelings of the Spirit, we speak the words of the Spirit, we do the actions of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they've crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, Paul writes to us in Galatians. So what this means is that I was born with a sinful nature. I came out of the womb, hardwired to prefer my way best. I didn't learn to sin. I wasn't taught to sin. Sin came and continues to come naturally to me. The Bible teaches us that's our nature to sin. Well, how, how does these things really work? I'll, I'll use language the Bible uses. Your body is a slave to your soul. A slave in the Bible times had no opportunity to choose whether they obeyed their master or not. They were legally bound to obey. They didn't have a say in the matter. Your body does what your brain tells it to. Have something ever come out of your mouth and as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you cover it up and say, oh, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. It just slipped out faster than you could control it. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, you did. Your mouth doesn't just decide in and of itself what to say. Your brain or your heart told it what to say, but it happened that fast. You couldn't control it. It wasn't your mouth's fault. It was your heart's fault. Does that make sense? You follow me here? Jesus said it this way. Does this make more information? He says, um, <laughs> he says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. The reason your mouth said it is because your heart felt it and your mind thought it. The problem is not with your mouth. You can tape it shut, but the thoughts are still in there. (laughs) Your body is a slave to the soul. It does whatever your brain, your imagination, your will tells it to do. Now, your soul is interesting. Your soul is more of a servant. In Bible times, the servant could submit itself to the master or it could buy its freedom. And he or she could go and do their own thing. Your soul has a choice to be in charge of the whole operation or to submit itself to the Spirit. You have a choice with your heart, with your feelings, with your emotion, with your will to do one of two things. To surrender them to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit guide the way that you think, feel, speak, act, and behave. Or to run rogue and do your own thing. That's the choice that you have. Knowing that your actions are simply going to follow suit to whatever happens right here. That's the relationship between soul and spirit. The body is a slave to the soul. The soul is a servant to the spirit. That's the relationship between those different categories and the way that goes on. So here's, here, here's what Jesus says. My body feeds information through something I hear, see, taste, smell. It feeds information, stimuli into the soul. And then I decide there what I'm going to do with it. Here's what Jesus said. Does this make more sense now? Any man who looks at a woman lustfully has already done what? Committed adultery and sinned in his where? Heart. This is interesting because Jesus says it's not like you have to go to bed, men, with the woman that you're fantasizing about. If you're looking at her and imagining having sex with her, You've already sinned in your heart. So he says the problem isn't with the looking, it's with the lusting. Do you follow? He said it's not a problem that the man looks at a beautiful woman. The problem is what he does in his heart while he's looking at her and in his imagination. He's making that distinction. He says the sin isn't with your eyes. It's in your heart. Because look, if if Jesus is saying you can't look at a beautiful woman, you're going to have to just tie your eyes closed and never go anywhere. 
Some people think real Christian maturity is being able to avert your eyes every time you see a pretty girl walk by if you're a fella. That's not Christian maturity. Christian maturity is to be able to see that pretty woman as, as a child of God, as a daughter of God, and not as an object of your fantasy. That's Christian maturity. Christian maturity is to be able to recognize what goes on in this part. Well, some of us say, well, that part of me is damaged. That's why you have the Holy Spirit who is not damaged to transform the way that you think about women and give you purity in your heart that you can lean on. So when that temptation to look at a pretty woman comes in and you want to take it in a different place in your imagination, you, you let that spirit rise up and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Pastor, I'm too weak to do that. You are, and so am I. I need somebody stronger, more powerful than me to lean on in those moments. That's why this becomes invaluable to me. Growing up, I had a terrible problem with profanity. Terrible problem with profanity. I got into it playing sports, and I just had a terrible problem with it. I grew up in a Christian home, and dad's a pastor. It's not really good to be the pastor's son and have a problem with profanity. That doesn't work well. But I came to a point in my life where I really wanted to fix it, and I found that every self-help technique that I used might work for a while, but when sufficiently provoked, it would slip out. That's where I had to come and start to understand this, that I was just trying to fight it right here and right here. And the problem is these two areas are naturally sinful. That's actually asking a sick person to help another sick person to not be sick. I needed someone outside the equation who wasn't infected with the same stuff that I was to step in and help me with that. Am I perfect? I'm much better than I used to be, but I want to tell you, it's a lifelong struggle. It's a lifelong struggle. What I naturally want to do in certain moments is things almost, almost without thinking about it just bubbles out naturally. Well, without the Holy Spirit, there's no hope for me. With the Holy Spirit, I have hope that I can be somebody I couldn't naturally be through the Spirit that's not just around me, that's not just out there somewhere, but that is inside of me, that lives in me, that lives in me. So here's the universal problem. Here's the universal problem. Paul said it best. Paul says, I've discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. He says, I love God and his law with all my heart, but I found there's another power inside of me at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person and I, I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Here's what Paul's saying. I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, but I keep on sinning. What do I do? Did salvation not work for me? He's like, this is misery. I want to do what's right, but sometimes I don't feel like it. I really want to do what's wrong because it feels better. Isn't that just at the root of all of us at times? I know I should be patient here. I just, it just doesn't feel like it. I had a person come up to me at the park last night when I was explaining, explaining to people why it was closed down. The guy, big muscular guy comes up and goes, man, y'all just need to look at the radar before you make these decisions. I have my own business and I know to look at the radar when I'm trying to figure out the weather. I have a real struggle with temper and I have a little grace for people that are smart Alex. I'm saying smart Alex because the Holy Spirit is working well in my life and helping me. <laughs> and you know what, I, you know what, uh, what was just welling up in me naturally what I want to say? I want to be like, the radar. Thank you so much. You know, I was just outside with a stick just wandering around trying to figure out what I should do the radar, you're a genius. Thank you so much. That's what was welling up in here. <laughs> and I felt it, you know, like I'm not quite mature enough where that impulse still doesn't come. It, it was right there and I was just ready to go. I mean, I even feel my fist, fist clench. 
And what I didn't recognize was happening at the time, but now I, I, I felt like a, like a big holy foot putting like on the brakes. Like when my mom would teach me how to drive and she would sit in the passenger seat and she'd be pressing the imaginary brake all the time. And that's what I felt was happening. I felt like there was this supernatural something inside of me that wasn't me because that was not where Phil was taking this. I felt an opposing tension slowing me down. You know, and I gave a much more, uh, much less volatile response to the statement of a moron that just needed some, you know, just needed... (laughs) I just said, well, bro, I said, I said, brother, I appreciate that, that awesome tip. But I said, uh, you know, at one o'clock, I had to decide, is it raining or not? And I didn't need a radar. I looked out the window, and it was pouring. And I said, and I just can't put $20,000 of equipment at risk. You know, I said, then this would have been the one and only movies in the park that have been done forever. Oh, okay, well, I was just saying, well, thank you for just saying. I appreciate that. That's your ministry, the ministry of just saying. I appreciate that. Had no kids with him, couldn't figure out what was going on. Maybe it's good that we didn't have the event, but I don't know. But he... <laughs> I say that to illustrate this. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He does not force himself on anybody. It is not... There's a, there's a, there's a, a condition that you have, if you're like me and like Paul, when you find that what you want to do naturally is the opposite of the Holy Spirit, there's a condition, there's a word for it. You can write this down in your notes. Normal. It is normal and natural for you and I's initial reactions to be opposite of the Holy Spirit. However, here's the good news. When you learn to tune into the Holy Spirit inside of you and you begin to walk with the Holy Spirit, what is normal changes. You find a new normal and you will find the closer you walk to God, the more natural his responses will start to come out. At first it This is not in your notes. This is just really fresh in my own heart from some things that God's showing me. What I'm finding is that if I looked at the panoramic view of my relationship with God, I can honestly say it becomes more natural to do godly things than to do ungodly things the longer you walk with God because what happens is, Romans 12 says, he transforms your mind. He renews your mind. He hits the reset button and starts shaping your mind to be more closely parallel with how God already feels about stuff. So where you might say, man, 20 years ago, I, was, I, you know, I won't embarrass it. I know there's a, there's a, a guy here that I really good, have a really good, solid friendship with, and he, he shared the same thing with me. He's like, man, 20 years ago, Pastor Phil, I was a hothead and chewing people out and cussing people up and down, and I'm thinking, like, you're lying to me. Like, this is the most gentle, meek, godly, one of the most gentle, meek, godly men I know. And he's saying, but you know what? It's evidence of the fact that this guy says, over oh, the last 20 years, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And now what is coming out of me more naturally is patience and grace and love. And it's not like I have to sit and really feel like the break is being applied. I just find it's coming more naturally. As God transforms your mind and as you learn to really make God your Lord, these things start to mirror more closely the Spirit and you become holier. Not because of anything you did, but because of what you surrendered and who you put in charge. If you're going to be holy like God is holy, it's not at the end of a 500-page workbook. It's a life of walking with the Spirit and making your body and your soul the slave of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and let the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ continue in you. So this is the big problem. Paul says there's two opposing tensions in me. So here's the question. How do I ever live a holy life that God describes as possible and necessary while I still have this body and soul that's filled with sin? Here's the answer. I must let the Holy Spirit guide my entire life. The Spirit must be the King. My soul must be His servant. My body, His slave. 
and I don't have any time to unpack this any further this morning other than to say, when you start understanding how God designed us, the temple will make more sense in the tabernacle, the outer courts, the inner courts, the holy place, the way the Trinity operates, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it will start to make a little bit more sense and maybe it makes it a little less mysterious, a little more understandable. We don't have time to really go there this morning, but if you're ever going to live a holy life, the Holy Spirit has to be our guide. We have to submit our thoughts and our words. Here's, here's what Paul says. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. You're free from your slavery to sin. You become slaves to righteous living. Here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. If you let, how do I defeat sin? Here's the answer. Let the Holy Spirit call the shots. How do I get free from these harmful patterns of thinking that I have? Depressing thoughts and social anxiety and lust and feeling less about myself and being angry and bitter and jealous and unforgiving. Here's the simple answer, but the difficult journey. Let the Holy Spirit call the shots. The Holy Spirit will never influence you to sin. Never, never once. If you start learning to think his thought patterns, it won't lead you in a sinful direction. How do I defeat those things? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's not out there somewhere, who's inside of you. The moment you accept to follow Jesus, his spirit fuses together with your spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit guide my life means to think the thoughts of the spirit, to feel the feelings of the spirit, to use the words of the spirit, and to behave like the Holy Spirit. That's easier said than done, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. Here's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. To me, this is, again, this, is, this has been underlined so many times in my Bible it like bleeds through into the page behind it. Here's what Paul says. I wish I had more time to unpack this paragraph this morning. I'll just have to give you the sentence. The person who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Leave the, if we could leave that on the screen for a second. I want you to digest this. The person who's joined to the Lord is what? If there's any way I could turn a light bulb on inside of you today to get this. You remember when Jesus said how tight he and his father were? Do you remember how he described it? He said, he and I, we're not just close, we're, we're one. He's in me, I'm in him. His thoughts are my thoughts. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Now, here's what Paul says. The person, put your name in there. If Phil, if Stuart, if Marcy... If Todd is joined to the Lord, you are one in spirit with him. Now, I'm not an expert in the biblical languages. Pastor Stewart and and others in the room, you're much more educated in that area than I am. So I have to sometimes pull on people who are experts to help me with this. The Greek word in that passage, joined with, actually means fused together with in the most intimate way. Actually, the whole paragraph is about why we shouldn't be sleeping with prostitutes because it's like if you're married and you're sleeping with a prostitute, they all become sexual partners in this whole relationship. And he says, if you wouldn't do that to your spouse, don't do that to Jesus because the person who's joined to Jesus is one with him. Here's what that means. The word fused together with it means when I'm joined to Jesus, which means the moment that I say, I confess to you my sins, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, I renounce my former way of living, what it says is that moment All of God's spirit is fused together with your spirit. It's fused together with you. That doesn't mean you become God. But that means all of the, in our language, all of the contents 
of God's spirit are now accessible to you. They live inside of you. It's like opening up a computer or an iPad or a phone and having an operating system put into it. That before you have that operating system in there, you know, you can't run a Mac on Windows or a Windows on Mac. You've got to have the right operating system in there for it to do what it does. And it's like you get this immediate download upon salvation of a new operating system. That if you choose to spend a lifetime mining out that operating system, there are endless amounts of apps and possibilities for you in there. What are some of the things that you got access to if all of God's spirit lives inside of you? What are some of the things the Bible tells us that you got that moment? You got knowledge, right? You got access to all of God's knowledge. First Corinthians chapter 2 says the Holy Spirit knows everything God knows. He has access to all God's thoughts, including his secret wisdom. So you now have access to what God knows, not out there somewhere, but through your spirit that's inside of you. How about the fruit of the Spirit? You have access to that now? Well, Pastor, I really need some more work on grace. No, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit with all these different characteristics. You didn't just get one. You got them all. It's just a matter of getting them out of here, up to here, and out to here. The problem is a lot of stuff gets stuck here. Well, Pastor, I need to work on love. I need God to give me more love. He gave you all the love you will ever need. You're just not using it. You're not accessing it. How about what Paul says to 1 Timothy? I mean, God didn't give you a spirit of being intimidated. He gave you a spirit of power. He gave you a spirit of love. He gave you a spirit of self-discipline. The Bible also refers to these two words collectively as self. You know what self needs? Discipline. Your thought life needs discipline. Your thought life should not be the spoiled two-year-old child that gets whatever he wants and his name changes. No, that's just kidding. Our body and soul is like a spoiled kid that wants to get what it wants all the time. It doesn't, it needs discipline. And you say, no, you're not going to think that today. You're going to think what the Spirit says. No, you're not going to act that way today. You're going to act how the Spirit says to act. Where do I get that self-discipline from? Through the Spirit of Christ who is where? In you. In you. Jesus said all true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Your ability to worship God is not out there somewhere. It's not embedded in a song we haven't sung in two months. It's not in your favorite hymn or your favorite new tune. The ability to worship God in all sincerity and truth is already inside of you, in your spirit. So when we come together on Sunday, we're just trying to make it as easy as possible for you to get what's already inside of you, out of you. That's what we're trying to do. Righteousness, holiness. How about, I have to end here, because I have to end here. (laughs) How about... This verse, I'll just leave you with this because this will make some of you nervous. Acts chapter three, verses five and six. There's this cool story of Peter and John. They're on their way to church and a paralyzed person calls out to them for money. He's a beggar. He says, give me some silver and gold. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, What does it mean to be filled with the... Oh, here, let me give you this real quick too. This isn't in your notes. You know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that this part's already full of the Holy Spirit. It means this part's now being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and so is this. That means I'm filled with. If I just leave him down in here, I'm not really kind of walking around being full. It's when my thoughts and my behaviors are all lining up, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at this guy, and you know, remember what he says? He says, silver and gold... Well, of course, in the King James, have I none? Sang it in children's church when I grew up. I don't have money. But then he, he flips the script. You have to catch this. But what I have, I'm going to give you. What did he give him? 
Did any of you read it? What did, what did he give the, 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 did he give him money? What did he give him? Healing. Now think of what he was saying. He says, I don't have money. I have healing to give you. Do you understand how tricky that language is? He says, I have it. I can't heal you. You know what he had? He had the spirit of God living inside of him. The spirit of God is able to heal. He says, I have it, and now I'm going to give it to you. Now, I have heard all kinds of long classes about how you pray for people for healing and where to put the oil on their head and, you know, all this, you know, where to cover them over with a blanket if they fall down and all this other. And people get really nervous when we talk about this. Well, Pastor, that's just not normal. Oh, no kidding. It's not normal. None of this is. This is all supernatural stuff. It's not natural. We're just not trying to make it any more weird than it already is. Here's all he's saying is, I haven't had a class in this. I don't know necessarily, but I know that there is healing in the spirit of God. It lives inside of me, and now I'm going to give it to you because that's what you really need. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, get up and walk. And he got up and he walked. Some of you in the room have had another experience with the Holy Spirit. Let me just make everybody nervous and then we'll close. Because you're wondering when we're going to get to this. So this is week four, but we'll give it to you today. I have a whole bunch of other points here. We'll just leave those for the next time we pull this out. So here's the deal. Well, Pastor, are we ever going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues? And please don't do it on the week that I invite my friends to church for the first time because they're going to get all kinds of nervous. Look, here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. These guys were waiting. Jesus said, Jesus appeared to 500 people after he rose from the dead. They physically saw Jesus. They didn't read about it like we did. They were there. And he says to these 500 people, listen, just hang out in Jerusalem for the promise. I'm going to send you something. How powerful and effective and influence did Jesus have? 120 people of the 500 took him up on it. 380 people. Three out of four said, eh, I don't know. They wait. They don't know what they're waiting for. They're just waiting. And they have this experience after they chose to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The second experience where they're waiting in a room. Fire, what looks like fire comes out of here and sits above them. They speak in a language that they didn't learn, that they didn't study, they speak fluently. And they say, this promise is for everybody from all generations. We'll talk about this week four. Here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. Some of you in the room, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you have had this experience. You've been seeking God. You've been seeking the Holy Spirit. You've been seeking for more power in your life and wondering whether or not when God's deposited that in your life, whether you've gotten the promise they prayed about. And some of you in the room, and I have had this experience too, where spontaneously I will begin to speak a language that I'm fully in control of, that I can start or stop, but that, for whatever reason, feels fluent to me. Don't know exactly the word-for-word translation, but I could probably give you a good approximation of what I think God is saying through me. But I didn't study this thing. I didn't learn it. I didn't, it just, it's almost like it just bubbled up from deep within me. Now, some of you have had this experience. Let me explain to you what's happening here. What I'm experiencing is that somewhere in here there is a language that I neither studied nor prepared for that if I just listen to that and I let that language come up and fill my thoughts and then I release it out through my mouth, I am essentially speaking in tongues. So some people say I've had this experience where I can pull up out of my spirit something that I didn't put in there and I can release it out through my life. So here's my question. Here's my question. If you can do that with a language, what else is in here? Is love in here? Is patience in here? Is grace, is power in here? Is freedom from your sin in here? 
I'm not anti-speaking in tongues. Not at all. Not at all. But sometimes those of us that have that experience just like treat that like that's just the degree. There's so much more in addition to that that's in your spirit. That if you can learn to think the thoughts of the spirit, feel the feelings of the spirit, speak the words of the spirit, behave like the Holy Spirit does. There's more things in here. God wants to get what's in here out here. Not only for you, but for this world we're trying to reach. All the power you'll ever need is in your spirit through the Holy Spirit if you follow Jesus. All the love, all the grace, all the patience, all the healing, all the knowledge. Maturity for me and spiritual growth for me is thinking less of my own thoughts and thinking more of his. It's speaking less of my own words and speaking more of his. It's acting less like I used to and more like he already does. That's this whole journey for me. So where is the Holy Spirit? He's not out there somewhere. His spirit is fused together with your spirit. Well, pastor, I didn't know that was all in there. That's okay. That's okay. Don't put pressure on yourself. Look at it as this awesome opportunity. You got a whole bunch of extra rooms in a house you didn't even know you had. You thought your car just could make it hot or cool. You didn't know you had a stereo or a radio or power. You didn't know any of that stuff. You're just driving it up and down the road all the time. And now you find out what it can really do. Hopefully, maybe this opens up the possibility. Well, pastor, how do I, how do I get more of what's in my spirit out? I need it. You have to tune in. Got to think it, feel it, say it, do it. You've got to think the thoughts, feel the feelings. It takes time. It takes practice. But it's an amazing journey. But if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, none of this means anything. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this doesn't matter, probably. You won't see heaven. You won't even enter heaven. The Holy Spirit is incredibly important to all of us. But if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, this would be a great opportunity for you to do so. He loves you. He's trying to make himself clear to you through his Holy Spirit this morning. He's making you aware of your need for him. I would plead with you, if you feel this morning that you need to make a commitment, don't ignore that and walk away and let your heart get harder. Surrender to him this morning. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and come in and make his kingdom inside of you. That's what we all really need. Let's pray this morning as our worship team comes. I realize as our worship team comes, I'm going to have to move the flip chart. Move this down here. Just as we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're going to land right here this morning. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If your answer is yes, then just hold steady for a second. In fact, if you'd say, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, can I ask you just to quietly, right in your seat right now, just pray, pray quietly that maybe that one individual here, that's like the one individual that came last week for the very first time, a co-worker or somebody at Echo came and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ right in here last Sunday. There might be one or two others here this morning that say, I, today's the day I need to make that decision. You pray for that person right now in your own heart. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, it's very simple. If you're already feeling that you want to do that, here's how you do it. You, just, you have to pray personally to Jesus Christ. You have to make a commitment to him. It can sound something just like this. You can pray it right at your seat, right where you are right now. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I recognize I recognize that I've lived my life up to this point for me. I've done things my way. I've absolutely been guilty of breaking your law. I want that all to change today. And I recognize that out of that guilt of breaking your law, there's a penalty for me to pay, and I know that it's death. So Jesus, I believe that you did already pay that penalty for me. So I invite you to apply forgiveness to my life. And I simply accept 
I accept the payment you've already made over my sin. And I just say, God, please, please restore relationship between you and I today. Come into my life. Be the king. Be the king of my thoughts, of my imagination, of my will. Clean me up. Start making me holy. Transform the way that I think. For those of us that are in the room that have followed Jesus, I want to pray over all of you. And here's how I want to pray this morning. God, wake us up to the reality of your spirit that lives inside every one of us. Turn up the volume. Make that station easier to tune into and to find. If we are going to matter at all to your kingdom, it's not by our might. It's not by our power. It is only by your spirit. If we're going to overcome sin, if we're going to stand for you in a society that is becoming increasingly hostile towards you, anti-church, anti-religion, and anti-Christ, then more than ever before, we need a mighty move of your spirit in us and through us. There is a war in this world going on right now. The powers of darkness over the powers of light. You've picked us to live in the day and the time and the age that we have. We will not go quietly. We will not be cowards. We will not be bullied or intimidated, but we cannot do it on our own. If we are going to make progress and take back territory that the enemy has claimed for his own, we must have more of your spirit at work in our lives than ever before. We must. We must. And we will not move from this spot until you do it. Do not take us up from here unless your presence goes with us. And so I speak to you, Holy Spirit, reverently and humbly. Come alive inside the hearts and spirits of every single person in this room. I pray that even right now as we pray, that power, that grace, that forgiveness, that patience will begin to bubble up out of our spirit where, where only we saw empty space before. I pray that major bondages and hang-ups and vices that have controlled people in this room will begin to fall like chains on the ground as your spirit begins to guide our thoughts. I pray for healing physically. I pray for healing emotionally for that one this morning who is bound by depression and anxiety, who is taking more than the maximum dosage of medicine that they've been prescribed because it's so bad. I pray that right now your spirit would come alive and that you would supernaturally bring into regulation the serotonin and levels in the mind that they can see you clearly where the enemies only breathe them lies and that you'll bring them freedom today. We are not afraid, Holy Spirit, of what you might do if we would truly give you control. We're not afraid. Teach us. Guide us. Be a gentleman. But Holy Spirit, lead us. Because Christianity and life will never be, never be boring if you do.